Thank you for streaming. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for subscribing to Coming Up Next, the People's Podcast. By now, dear listener, you know the drill. I'm going to keep bringing you episodes every week, and all you have to do is go to iTunes or Stitcher and leave a five-star rating and review and make sure that you are indeed subscribed to the show. You can also find the back catalogue on those platforms or at comingupnext.com.au. 110 previous episodes of Rambly Goodness. And for this week, for episode number 111, I bring you a very, very special interview. Anis Mojgani is a two-time National Poetry Slam champion. He's the winner of the International World Cup Poetry Slam and multiple-time TEDx speaker. His work has appeared on HBO, NPR, and in the pages of such journals as Rattle, Forklift Ohio, Paper Darts, Thrush, and Bat City Review. Anis is the author of three poetry collections, all published by Right Bloody Publishings. They are Songs from Under the River, The Feather Room, and Over the Anvil We Stretch. His latest book, The Pocket Knife Bible, is a fully illustrated poetry memoir. You can find all of his works and tour info at thepianofarm.com. The poem you're about to hear is called Closer, and I'll be playing a few other of his pieces throughout the episode, including Shake the Dust and For Those Who Can Still Ride an Aeroplane for the First Time. You are quite the beauty. There is joy in how your mouths dance with your teeth. Your smiles are simply signs, signs of how sacred your life actually is, so step into it. Come closer. Know that whatever God prays to, he asked of it to make something of worth. He woke from his dreams, scraped soil from the spaces stuck somewhere inside himself. He made you, and he was happy. You make the Lord so happy. Come into this. Come closer. Know that something softer than us, but just as holy, planted pieces of himself into our feet that we might one day dance our way back. Know that you are almost home. Come just a little bit closer. There are birds beating their wings beneath your breastplates. Gentle sparrows that ache to sing. Come aching hearts. Come soldiers of joy, dormant of truth. Know that my heart was too big for my body, so I let it go. And most days, this world is thin to me. To the point where I'm just another cloud forgetting another flock of swans. Having bit myself so far backwards that the song of my mother believed that I was returning home. But believe me when I tell you that my soul has managed to squeeze itself into such narrow spaces. Place your hands beneath your heads when you sleep tonight. And perhaps you will find it there. Making beauty as we sleep. As we dream, as we turn over, when we turn over in the ground, may the ghosts that we have asked answers of do that turning, kneading us into crumbs of light and into this thing-love thing called life. Come into it. Come, you wooden museums. Gentle tigers, little giants. I see teacups upside down, glowing across your grins. Your hearts are like my hands. Some days all they do is tremble. I'm like you. I am like you. I too at times am filled with so much fear. But like a hallway must find the strength to walk through it. Walk through this with me. Through this church of blood, bone, and muscle that is ours. There was a doorknob glowing like chance before you. Grab it, turn, and pull. Step through. 
Back straight, chin up, eyes open, hearts loud. Walk through this with me. Walk through this with me. So glad that we could we could make this work. It's uh, it, it, it felt like a, a, a little bit of time that we've been trying. Um, and in in my kind of research, I um, I sort of discovered that you spend well, four to six months on the road every year touring with your work. Yeah, like not not as much as as I once did. You know, it'll now be I'd say three to four months these days, but still like a sizable chunk it can definitely be difficult for me like to uh i will um say go somewhere for work and then sort of like tack on that being just sort of like travel to visit folks travel to see a a place that's near to that area um so it's definitely like more than than sometimes it needs to be but these days i'm trying to trying to find the ways that i can like kind of be at home a little bit more just to you know, have some semblance of a of a day to day life and, <laughs> and stay on top of the work that I'm trying to create. So yeah, is but it, yeah, it's still it's still a, a a fair amount of of my year is is not in my house. <laughs> <laughs> is it the sort of thing where when you're on the road you you miss home life, and when you're at home you miss living on the road? It can be though. Also, it can sometimes be like uh, uh, the reverse. Um, you know, like when I'm on the road, I, uh, I'm, I'm really thankful and excited about the being out there and, you know, like getting to just kind of like be free to explore different stuff and to see people that whose, whose, whose company I'm, 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 uh, really thankful for, um, and just like new experiences. Um, but then when I'm at home, I'm like, oh, it's so nice to be here, you know, and it's like nice to be in this routine of existence and getting to engage with my work in the way that it it needs to be engaged with you know like on a consistent chipping away basis but but there's definitely like that that element where like when you know if if say I've been away for a bit like you know that I'm just I'm really itching to kind of like get back to to my home to my room you know to my stuff you know to yeah. like you know, like, you know, I get back home and I'm like, oh, I need to go to like the bookshop that I go to pretty much like every single day, you know, just to, to remind myself like, oh, these books are all still here. All right, good. You know, like, and, and definitely when I'm at home, I'm, I'm, I, I have this element where I'm like, you know, I have the freedom to, to be out and about in other cities and other places. Like I should be taking advantage of that while I still can. So there's, there's definitely always like a, a push pull element to it. One of the things that really struck me about your work when I first sort of found it when I was on a a YouTube binge a few Mm -hmm. years ago is that it seems to me like you're really trying to encourage people through your prose to be the best that they can be, to to not sort of hide away, but it's kind of in this really gentle, uh, enticing sort of manner. Um, And and I, I guess the question that I'm leading into relating to being on the road is what, 
what do you kind of see uh, as your your role as the poet when you're going on these um, on these uh, road shows? You know, it's a, it's it's a mix. Like, I it definitely answers an unknown question in myself. Um, you know that there's a desire and a thing that I in, to 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 do this for me, and there's a thing that. Uh, there's an excitement um, that that I get from the engagement with with my creativity and my art making, and part of that that art making is you know creating something and sharing it to others, um, you know. And there's there's just a really you know there's a, there's a wonderful feeling that 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 happens on stage, um, you know. I think, and not just on stage, but just like there's uh, a, a selfishness of a healthy manner that I think um, that I get from getting to have a time where I say, this is who I am, you know, like you guys listen to me, see me, you know, I think that there's, there's an, there's an element to being human that, um, that we all desire and want that of some form or fashion, you know, and, and, and I think that that can be, that can lead itself to being like a very, uh, troubling and, 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 and negative, um, engagement, but it can also be something that is, is very positive and important for ourselves to be able to like share of who we are and what we come from and what we believe about ourselves and what we believe about the world and what we observe about it. Um, that it, it, there, there, there's something I think really beautiful and connected to being human, you know, that, you know, we gather around the store, the, 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 the fire and we share, a story and we hear another person's story and it prompts us to share our own story. And I think that there is something innately human to wanting to be able to like claim one's space and say to other humans, like, this is, this is what I'm putting into the space and getting to be out on the road and do shows like definitely gives me that, you know, like there's, there's a really wonderful thing about getting to be up there on a stage and being like, all right, you guys have come into my space and I'm going to like, share with you my example of what it means to be as powerfully myself and as powerfully human as I can with my time. Um, and so there's definitely, that's all a very long and rambling way to say there is one element that is purely just for myself, you know, but there's also an element that is very much for others. Um, uh, like I can't have the thing that uh, that I get to give to myself without getting to give it to another person as well. They are part of that equation. Um, you know, for me, um, a big part of the equation of making art, there's the element where I make it for myself and for no one else and for no other reason other than, 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 than my own wanderings. But I also, part of that equation is making something for myself and inviting others into it. And particularly with regards to like performance, that's an element where, you know, we get to make something together that does not exist out of the time that I spend with another person or another group of persons. And, you know, I think that that is, um, it's important for me to create work and give it to others because hopefully it gives them something, you know, whether that's just simply like, you know, a laugh, uh, a brief fleeting moment of feeling good or comfortable about themselves or expanding their imagination, 
or or whether those things are a bit more concrete and and withstand a little bit more test of time you know like i throughout my life there's definitely been art and artists that has uh consistently helped me and carried me and you know if there is work that i have created or am creating that can offer up the same thing or similar thing to another person then that's really awesome and powerful and humbling and important to me and you know so I don't know. Like I, I, I think about how the things that allowed me to do a lot of the work that I do, and I think about uh, a lot of people who are in the same situation, and I also think of a lot of people who have never been in that situation and who have consistently been told throughout their life that you know the things inside of them are not necessarily important or of worth, and if if there's work that I can do that sort of opens up a door in someone that says like, you're allowed to go into this room and explore yourself and explore what you have to offer to either another human or to the human that you are. Um, then that's a really important thing for me to be out on the road, you know, and I love getting to experience that and sharing that. It's, it's extraordinary. I mean, one of the, um, one of the greatest quotes I think I've heard from you, uh, is in a TEDx talk that you did, um, where you said we become extraordinary when we realize how extraordinary our existence is. Yes. And sort of looking back over your, over your life, you know, how significant was it for you to be brought up in a household where your creativity was celebrated, um, you know, through your parents and through your, uh, your faith? I would, I would say extraordinarily important. You know, it's, 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 it's hard to gauge, you know, I, I, I'd like to say that, um, or I'd like to, to believe that, you know, regardless of whatever circumstances um, my life might have been, you know, say if it hadn't been as supportive, that um, my artistic sensibilities, my creativity would have found a way to to claw its way to the surface and 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 on one element i i totally believe that you know i i I look at the the things that are inside of me and it's like you know making art is the only thing that i know how to do you know like i there's so many things that like of 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 myself and my capabilities that like i wish i had you know that like oh i wish i was good at this i wish i could do this but like but i over the course of my life, I feel comfortable saying, like, I know how to engage with my art, and I know how to do that, you know? And I, I don't always do it successfully. I don't always do it in the manner that, like, I want to or as, like, um, largely as, 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 as I would like to be capable of. Um, but, but that's something that I'm good at, and, and it's the thing that continuously, like, stays present and fighting in me. And, and so, you know, I, I, I think on one level, if that hadn't been my, my circumstances, the ones that I had, um, it would still find a way to the top. But I, I don't know that for certain. And, and it definitely has made it, like, easier, you know, in that the place that I come from is one that was a household that definitely, you know, never, never turned away from creative endeavors and one that like didn't 
see it as something to stop doing or to put away, um, but rather something that was like, oh, um, these things are just as valid as anything else of what it means to be human. And these things are something that uh, this child of ours has 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 an inclination towards doing and wants to do and is is happy doing it. And um, we, my parents, are 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 made happy by 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 our child's happiness. So like we're going to continue supporting that in a manner that 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 we know how, you know, and not like um, instruct them as be, this being something that they need to put down and find something else to do. Um, and, and, and that was, was, was huge for me. You know, like if, if my parents had, you know, decided that, uh, you know, comic books were not a, 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 uh, uh, a warranted thing for, for Nis Morjgani to, um, to spend their money on studying in school and follow that path, you know, like, I don't know what direction I would be, uh, what my life would look like right now. You know, like it, 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 my family has always been very, very supportive of me as an artist. And, um, uh, and I don't know, I can't say a hundred percent that like, I would be, you know, the artist that I am today without that very much. Do you remember the first time that you, that you wrote anything or that you performed uh, as a child? Well, as a, as a, as a kid, like I didn't, I, I don't have memories very much of, of writing. Um, drawing is the thing that, that really pervaded through my childhood. Drawing and as, 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 I've, as, as I've said to, to a number of folks, like architecture was something that for whatever reason, as a, as a young boy, just like set me on fire, you know? So like as a, as a child, uh, drawing and designing houses and what those things could look like really was like the stake of my creativity. I, I came across like an old um, composition book um, uh, from like fourth grade, fifth grade, something like that. And, um, uh, you know, it revealed to me like, oh, I did, I did write stories, you know, like for school and whatnot, which I hadn't remembered. And a lot of the stories I wrote then were like, they were a, a lot of like spy type stuff, secret agent things, and like very violent. People always ended up dying at the end of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, 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 I didn't recall like any of that part of my imagination until stumbling across this composition book. I, I know that specifically, like I had to write a poem in eighth grade English. And, but it really wasn't something that kind of like opened up or clicked with me until taking specifically a creative writing class, um, my last year of high school and, you know, having to write mini poems and getting exposed to a lot more poetry than, uh, the poetry that I had been exposed to in class previously. And, and that, um, really opened up me to, oh, well, what, what happens when I look at poetry the way I might look at my sketchbook, you know, that like I get to kind of like wander and see what, what is under this rock and what's inside of this drawer and behind this door. Um, what, what are these things inside of me that, you know, like want to come out and here's a new manner in which they can be dressed. That's not like with a pencil um, 
or with the paintbrush, you know, it's, 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 it's with writing something on a page and it's through words. Um, and so that was, that was like the first time really getting to like truly explore something like that, I think. How, how much of an influence do you think uh, the environment uh, growing up in New Orleans had to do with uh, shaping your creativity? I, th- I think very much so. New Orleans is a really unique and powerfully special city, I think. And it's one that operates on, on art. It operates on creativity and the imagination. Um, I mean, uh, it was, was always surrounded with you know the musicality of the city and 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 color and costume and um you know it was something that um you know it's 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 hard to kind of like i don't know like i i i i never want it to 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 feel to me or to others that i'm passing judgment on uh, another city or another growing up experience but definitely like you know, I, I just, since that was like my experience growing up, I just sort of like took that for granted that this was what childhood was about, you know, like, and, and I know that that's not necessarily the case for a lot of folks. And it's not the case for a lot of cities in America. But, you know, New Orleans is a city that is, it's like, it's weird, and it's scary, and it's dark, and it's beautiful. And it's just a, a weird, imaginative town and and that definitely um you know i think is what my my art and my life and the way i look at the world it's 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 sort of like what it it marinates in it's what it simmers in is just kind of like all these spices that new orleans uh shaped me and continues to shape i think people that visit there people that live there you know it's i don't know it's a very powerfully colorful city um in all aspects it's not a boring place and uh that that indubitably shaped and carved the work that i make there's a there's a great uh, another great ted talk that you do where you um talk about that as well um did you was was there was your household or was your home growing up was it uh, quite a, a religious uh, upbringing that you had or was it more um, uh, I don't want to use the word liberal because that's not quite what I mean but I think you I think you know what I mean yeah I mean like it, 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 it was a mix you know I mean like it was religion um, and the way that we um, held it and defined it and were introduced to it um, is I think very different than um, you know, I think of, it's very different, I think, than a lot of other, uh, religious experiences with, 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 with others, with people and how they were raised with religion. You know, I think normally, at least here in the States, if one says that one was raised in a very religious household, there's a very specific manner in which that characteristics that comes to mind. And I mean, like religion was a huge part of my growing up, but it wasn't, something that was um uh strict it wasn't something that was suffocating you know i mean like every every sunday we had children classes and that meant that like uh we got together with um the other young folks in the baha'i community and 
we learned about Baha'i history and we learned about uh, Baha'i laws and we learned about ethics and morality and spirituality and we prayed. And every Friday night, we pretty much got together at the Baha'i Center, and um, uh, which at that time was just basically like uh, a few rooms in uh, an office building in downtown New Orleans. And we'd get together and we'd have prayer and it, we would have firesides where people that were curious about the faith could come and ask questions. Um, and once a, once a month, we got together for what Baha'is call feast. And it's a time, you know, it's sort of like, I guess, Sunday mass for lack of a better comparison. And there's praying and there's discussion and consultation about uh, the matters of the community. And then there's just like hanging out and eating food. And so it's like, this was something that was like a constant in our household, but it didn't detract from, you know, just being a person and what comes with that, you know, and, 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 and part of that is I think my parents and part of that is also just sort of like the shape of the Baha'i faith, that it's one that uh, is not that it's without laws, not that it's without rules, but it's also very much um, there's not a quote unquote Baha'i culture, or at least there shouldn't be, um, you know, because it's 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 the culture is made up by whoever's sitting at the table. And it invites the individual to be an active participant in who they are and bringing that to like whatever this religion is. And so, you know, it was it was both those things, you know, I mean, like and particularly like in a city like New Orleans, that is one that is like known for its, um, you know, debauchery, you know, that is that is that is known for its like very unconservative leanings and culture um, you know, that was, that was present and not something that like, you know, was like, uh, where we put our hands over our eyes or had our parents doing that, you know, like it wasn't like this, like crazy bohemian household or anything, but you know, I mean like, you know, like my, one of my favorite memories, the, the, the two, like two of the strongest and most favorite memories of, of mine as a child are, one, like going to like New Orleans events and there'd be this dude that would show up and he would just be wearing a tutu and boots <laughs> and had a samurai sword and a watermelon. And he would sing this song called Don't Mess With My Tutu. And he would like parade around with this watermelon and everyone would cheer him on and then he would slice up the watermelon and give it out. And it was just sort of like, you know, like for some uh, that might seem like a very strange thing. Like here's this like half naked dude parading in this like <laughs> feminine garb, chopping up watermelon with a sword. And, you know, it was something that was like beautiful and weird and awesome. And it wasn't something that in the quote unquote religious household that I grew up in that my parents were like, Oh my God, that man is wearing like nothing but like a ballerina's outfit. Like, you know, get the kids inside, you know, like, and similarly, you know, I mean, like, we would sometimes, after a Baha'i function, like, it'd be late at night, and sometimes we would go to this, like, weird, more or less underground coffee shop. It was like a speakeasy coffee shop called Bersodi's, and would go and have root beer floats. And and mind you, I was, like, eight, nine years old, and it was, like, 10, 11 o'clock at night, you know, like... It, it, you know, and we would sit there and just be like these old burnt out 
hippies, you know, like in this strange, dark, windowless coffee shop, you know, like that was like probably filled with communist propaganda, you know, like, so it was just like (laughs) weird things, you know, that like didn't feel out of place in, 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 in my city and my childhood and my household, you know, both those things existed, this sort of like, for lack of a better word, religion, and for lack of a better word, liberal mentality, you know, both those things coexisted at the same time. It seems like a, I guess, much more of a kind of communal or spiritual, I guess, uh, ideology more so than a dogmatic kind of religious. Um... Definitely, you know, and, and again, by no means is, does, like, like I said, it's not, it's not without its, its structure. It's not without law, you know, it's not just kind of like this free for all, but it definitely allows uh, in a lot of its arenas to kind of like, you know, it, 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 it strives and seeks to be more inviting and more inclusive than exclusive. You know, like uh, if you're like this, then you should not be inside of this room. You know, like if you're like this, be inside of this room and share what you are and what your ideas are. And I'll share what mine are and this person will share what theirs are. And we'll see where that kind of like comes together and make something unique and special, you know, sort of like the way that I am when I'm on stage, you know, I've got this thing that I made and I've got like these people in this room, but like what I made is only part of the equation and what it is that you're bringing as an audience member is going to shape this thing in a very unique and specific manner for the time that we have together. I think it's amazing. And I think you can definitely see in your work, the way that that kind of the way, the way that those ideals are kind of thread through, uh, through, Mm -hmm. through the stuff that you're putting out into the world. And I love this idea that, um, that you, that you mention uh, the idea that the universe created us noble, which I believe Mm -hmm. is something that your mother kind of instilled in you. Yeah. So there's a, there's a, uh, um, it, it stems from the Baha'i writings. Uh, Baha'u'llah, the, the prophet and founder of, of the Baha'i faith, you know, speaks on that, that, that we are created inherently noble. And that was definitely something that I think just sort of stuck um, with me, you know, like, um, you know, and, and there was definitely, I don't know, the, the, the prayers and the writings and the feelings of the religious community that I came up in was one that never felt like it was trying to remind you of how much you failed and how little you were uh, in the eyes of whatever greater divinity, you know, Um, but rather that like that greater divinity created you and so inside of you manifests characteristics of itself. Um, and so how could you possibly be insignificant? How could you possibly be worthless? You know, like um, you're, you're virtuous, you know, and that doesn't mean that like it's not, you know, a struggle and a fight day to day to like, you know, um, to be the fullness of one's worth. Um, but those things are in oneself. And, and, and so like, you know, that's what, that's what we were greeted with, you know, like, oh, you're awesome. You know, you have the capabilities to be awesome, be awesome, you know, 
don't beat yourself up when you're not awesome. You know, like yeah. I think um, that that kind of idea, uh, you know, which has been a fairly common theme on this podcast, uh, the idea that uh, perfectionism is kind of the death of creativity or the death of art. Constantly, I, I run up against that. You know, like sometimes I'm I'm in this space where it's like. I'm just making and and I'm and I'm able to like let that unfold how it unfolds and other times you get like caught up in this idea that oh this this thing that I'm making is precious this thing that I'm making needs to be perfect I'm going to fuck it up you know like yeah. if I if, <laughs> yeah. if, if 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 I get my hands in it you know and then it just it it cuts you off you know from your creativity it cuts you off from like the process of making something um yeah, I I'm very very familiar with that that <laughs> challenge. So, you know, to kind of skip ahead, um, you went off to study uh, comic book illustration uh, and sort of concurrently wound up studying creative writing as well. I'd love to kind of know. I mean, as I said, sort of at the head, you know, your writing is is really remarkable. I mean, you've won you. you've won back to back national. Uh, poetry slam competitions um you, you know you you're a working poet i i'm be very curious to know how it is that you first kind of learned to shape your words and to draw that inspiration um and how you you started your creative process as a poet i took that creative writing class that i mentioned in high school and the summer before i started uh university um, I read an article about poetry slams and I was fascinated by its structure that it said, anyone is allowed to participate. If you've got three minutes of something that is in your heart and you want to share it to a group of people, uh, you are welcome to do so. And that it said that, um, the audience of art is important and as an audience member your opinion is of worth and particularly with regards to poetry you know poetry being something that you know ha has largely been taken away from being uh something for the populace being something for people uh for individuals and being reserved as being sort of uh this elitist very intellectualized uh arm of academia and instead says like you hear a poem and you're allowed to say, I love that poem or I hate that poem. Um, and that I thought was really beautiful as well. And then it, the third thing from this article was like reading some of these excerpts of poems from people that would participate in these competitions. And they felt so real and so urgent and so present. And, you know, the majority of poems that I would get introduced to in school were from dead people um, and, uh, you know, dead white men people, to be specific. Um, and then in my creative writing class, I definitely got introduced to, like, a bit wider scope, but it was still um, a lot of dead people. Um, and if they were alive, it was a lot of people that were from this world of academia. And these poems were different than that. They were just the words and the thoughts of people that were living life, you know, and there was some sort of different kind of fire that like jumped out to me from the words. And 
you know, the combination of those, those three elements was something that I was like, I really want to try this. I really want to participate in this. Um, and over the subsequent years that, that, that followed at the start of my, uh, visual art schooling, I got exposed to, 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 to certain elements of, uh, performed poetry on CD, uh, a, a poet named Jeffrey McDaniel came through Savannah, Georgia and performed work and just like blew my mind wide open. And so it, 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 it was something that just kind of like gnawed at me at wanting to share my work aloud to other human beings. And, um, uh, that was like a really big, just part of the shaping of it and the molding of it, you know, like reading the work aloud in my bedroom and uh, going to participate with open mics that were happening and hearing the work out loud and sharing it with others and hearing the work of others out loud and like being part of a community of listeners and a community of writers and a community of performers. And that was the thing that really, you know, at the start, and the majority of what, you know, shaped the creating of my work. Um, you know, it wasn't, I didn't study it in school. I, I took a poetry class my first year of undergrad, and I took a poetry class the last year that I was in graduate school. And, you know, that was, that was it for the classroom. And for me, the larger classroom was hearing how other people perform their work and hearing the words that they wrote and reading the words that they wrote and sharing work that I had written and seeing how it landed in other people's ears and how it landed in their hearts and what affected them and what didn't affect them and what worked and what didn't work. Um, that was like very much how, how my work started getting shaped and, and carved and crafted so it was a lot of, I guess, uh, sort of trial and error and putting yourself out there to to really find uh, how things sat for you. Yeah, you know, just at that time it was like, you know, I, I, I loved poetry so much, you know, and not that I don't love it now, but it's it just a very, it, it, it took, uh, that love took shape in a very different manner. You know, at that time it was like, there was just all this stuff in me that I needed to get out yeah. and writing was the best way to do it. How did you feel the first time that you got up and read some of your work? I mean, I can't remember specifically the first time, but like, you know, it was, I, I'm, I'm, I'm certain that I loved it. You know, I, I mean, I, I remember the first time that I competed in a poetry slam and it, and, and that was just wild and just like lovely. Um, but I don't know, just, you know, getting to hear, the words aloud in a room of people who want to hear words aloud from another person was so empowering, you know? And it, I don't know, it just, it, 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 it's like as if one was, uh, you know, read about this delicious meal and was starving and hungered for this very specific thing, you know, just like, oh man, I've never had it, a, a cheeseburger before. And the way this person describes it, it sounds so good, you know, like, and you just hungered and hungered and hungered. And then like one day somebody handed it to you and you're like, oh my God, I get to like eat this thing, you know, like, you know, that's, that's, that's what it was like. This is for the fat girls. This is for the little brothers. 
This is for the schoolyard wimps. It's the childhood bullies that tormented them. For the former prom queen and for the milk crate ball players. For the nighttime cereal eaters and for the retired elderly Walmart store front door greeters. Shake the dust. This is for the benches and the people sitting upon them. For the bus drivers driving a million broken hymns. For the men who have to hold down three jobs simply to hold up their children. For the nighttime schoolers and for the midnight bike riders trying to fly. Shake the dust. This is for the two-year-olds who cannot be understood because they speak half English and half God. Shake the dust. For the boys with the beautiful, beautiful sisters. Shake the dust. For the girls with the brothers who are going crazy, who are going out of their minds. For the 12-year-olds who are afraid of taking public showers. For the kid who's always late to class because he forgets the combination to his lockers. For the girl who loves somebody else. Shake the dust. This is for the hard men who want love but know that it won't come. The ones who are forgotten, the ones the amendments do not stand up for, the ones who are told, speak only when you are spoken to and then are never spoken to. Speak every time you stand so you do not forget yourself. Do not forget yourself. Do not let one moment go by that doesn't remind you that your heart beats thousands of times every single day and there are enough gallons of blood to make every one of you oceans. Do not settle for letting these waves settle and for the dust to collect in your veins. This is for the celibate pedophile who keeps on struggling, for the poetry teachers, for the people who go on vacations alone, for the sweat that drips off of Mick Jagger's singing lips, and for the shaking skirt on Tina Turner's shaking hips, for the heavens and for the hells through which Tina has lived. This is for the tired and for the dreamers. For those families that will never be like the cleavers, with perfectly made dinners and sons like Wally and the Beaver. This is for the bigots, for the sexists, for the killers, for the big house jail sentence cats becoming redeemers, and for the springtime that somehow shows up after every single winter. This is for you. Make sure that by the time the fisherman returns, you are gone. Because just like the days, I burn at both ends, and every time I write, every time I open my eyes, I'm cutting out parts of myself just to give them to you. So. Shake the dust and take me with you when you do, for none of this has ever been for me. All that pushes and pulls and pushes and pulls, it pushes for you. So grab this world by its clothespins and shake it out again and again and jump on top and take it for a spin. And when you hop off, shake it again. For this is yours. Make my words worth something. Make this more than just another poem that I write, more than just another poem, like just another night that sits heavy above every one of us. Walk into it. Breathe it in. Let it crash through the halls of your arms like the millions of years and millions of poets coursing like blood, pumping and pushing, making you live, shaking the dust so when the world knocks at your front door, clutch the knob tightly and open on up and run forward into its widespread greeting arms with your hands before you. Fingertips trembling, though they may be. Thank you very much. How do you see that your writing process has evolved uh, over the years from where you kind of started to where you are now? Um, when, when I was younger, there was definitely like a lot of very um, just kind of like big spurts, you know? Like, I mean, like I wrote constantly, but a lot of things would just come out in these sort of like big, big spurts of, um, you know, or that they would be like in direct 
response to things around me or things that I was noticing or things that I was trying to process. And that definitely still happens where like, it'll be just kind of like writing a bunch. And it's not that like, I didn't edit then or go back in and craft stuff. But I think now there's a lot less of just kind of like, oh, there's, you know, I, I, I always kind of liken it to, you know, writing when I was younger feels in in memory as being kind of like a, a very passionate love affair. And writing now feels like a a long-time marriage. And that there might not be this like, very present on the surface level, like passion. Um, but there's a way that uh, two hearts operate and engage with one another that feels very like powerful and familiar and understanding. And, and that's how, how the writing feels more so these days. It, it's not, you know, it's not always, you don't always understand your partner, you know, like, um, <laughs> And your, your partner doesn't always like speak in a manner that like, you know, communicate to you in a manner that is, that, that, that resonates or is understood. But, um, but you also hopefully are at a place in that relationship where you understand, say like, oh, well, this is something to like step away from. And this is the time when. I need to come in closer. And, 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 and so it feels like that, you know, that like I, 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 I try to stay consistent and present with uh, my relationship with my writing. You know, it's not necessarily always a day-to-day practice, but it is a consistent thing, you know. And if I'm at home, then every single day I step into the space where I seek to get work done. And, and when I was younger, there wasn't always that. You know, it wasn't like a consistent relationship, you know, it would, it would, it would come out consistently because like it begged to come out. Um, but if it wasn't begging to come out, I wasn't necessarily like trying to learn how to get it out of me. And, and, and now there's a lot more of that, you know, that it's just sort of like a consistent relationship that I, 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 I recognize where I need to be to make it best for to let work come out of. Um, and so I, I, I seek to do that. And it's not always necessarily direct response to things that are happening around me. Instead, I'm sort of like just constantly living a life where hopefully I'm collecting things and observing things that are sitting in, you know, like I'm filling a jar so that like when it's time for me to put the jar down and stick my hand in, you know, I pull something out as opposed to like, well, is there anything in this jar? You know, like I, I already poured it out during the week. Instead of doing that, it's just like it's filled. Um, you know, it's like soaking a sponge and then wringing it out, soaking a sponge and wringing it out at the right time. And so, 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 so that's how I strive to have my process be present. Do you write from a space of, you know, do you set a kind of intention like this is what I'd like to the outcome of this piece of writing to be, or is it a bit less uh, pre pre premeditated? More more the 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 latter. I it's it's really difficult for me to write with a very specific intent at the get go. 
And it's something that, like, you know, is, 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 is a, I think, a gift and a curse. You know, like, I, I think it's really important for, for me specifically, but also I think, like, art in general to be allowed to unfold in an organic manner to in an unknowable fashion you know it allows an individual to to discover things that they might not have discovered you know i i know that there's a wealth of things that i've learned both about myself and about the work that i have ended up creating that has only been allowed to come into existence from me kind of wandering through this field uh, with only knowing that like oh I'm trying to get to the other side of the field and I can yeah. see that the other side of the field is in that direction. So I'm going to walk in that direction and along the way, see what happens. And, and most of my work has, has come from that. And most of like learning about myself has come from that. Um, but it can also sometimes be very, you know, challenging and frustrating, you know, because it's like, you know, particularly like right now, there is, there's so much madness in the world and there's so much just backwards troubling things happening in my country, in other countries, across humanity. And so there are definitely things that like I wish and desire to write about and to take apart and to speak towards and speak against. And it can definitely be hard for me to find my way towards towards doing that um, based on how I have shaped my process in the past. Um, and so that, that element can definitely be, be, be frustrating. You know, you're right. Uh, you know, it's very raw kind of uh, exposing parts of yourself, I think, which, uh, w you know, wouldn't be easy as a creative to kind of lay yourself bare and naked in in that mm -hmm. sort of way um but it seems like you do it with a kind of higher uh higher intention or purpose in mind you know you it seems to me as though you really want to spread this idea of love and nobility and and seeing the extraordinary in um in everyone i do you know and not not just for others, but like, you know, in myself, it's something that I'm striving to, to, to learn better how to love other people and learn better how to love myself. And, and the best way that I know how to do that is to explore the person who I am and, you know, offer that up to others. You know, like I was talking with a therapist a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about stuff connected to to the work that I do and this element of engaging with vulnerability and, and realizing that like it's not you know the work that I do I think very often when I share it with people in a live setting it's not so much that I'm engaging with other people's vulnerability um, which is something that I, 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 I sometimes confuse myself that I'm doing uh, and something that I would like to do but like I think more often I'm engaging with my own vulnerability and simply I'm doing that in front of other people. And I don't think that that's necessarily like not what I'm seeking to do, but it is different than what sometimes I'm seeking to do. Um, but I think that in itself is something that I think that when we see others engaging with their own vulnerability, 
that it also allows us to engage with our vulnerability, which is something that we are very often pushed away from doing, um, whether from others or from ourselves and what we're afraid will happen when we do that. And I think that the more that we take those steps to do that, um, the more that we are then able to engage with like other people's vulnerability and thus being able to love other people like more successfully. And, you know, it, it, I think with, 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 with my work very often, yes, that is what I seek to do to kind of like hopefully share with others that they are allowed to, to turn their lens inward and spend time with themselves, um, you know, regardless of what they might be afraid will unfold from that. You know, it can be a scary thing to engage with oneself. And, but I think it's also a very important thing and a needed thing for, for our world to, to proceed in a more successful manner, a more loving manner. Um, so, so those things are definitely very, very important to me. You know, when I, when I step up to my computer to write, when I step up onto a stage to share those things that I've written. Those things are, are immensely important to me. How do you personally move beyond the fear? I don't know. Like, I, 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 I still feel like very much a fearful person, you know, like, you know, on whatever given day it is, you know, like, I don't know. With, with, with me, I, I try to embrace, you know, certain elements that like what, like trying to take apart, like what is the thing ultimately that like I fear? What are the things ultimately that we fear? And like, you know, um, you know, like on a very base level, you know, when, when folks ask questions about, you know, like, or speak to kind of like sharing oneself to others, you know, um, you know, how, how, how does one get on stage and like speak to public? You know, folks, you know, like there's the, there's there's the, the thing that that folks say that, like the things that Americans fear most is public speaking. And, you know, it's like what honestly is going to happen in the realm of like public speaking is, is are you going to embarrass yourself? Like, all right, maybe you embarrass yourself, whatever that 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 means. And then what? You know, like everyone's going to leave the room and go eat their lunch or their dinner and just sort of like, oh, there's this thing that happened earlier and then it's going to fade, you know, like, like it's, it's irrelevant. The things that we fear will happen are almost always irrelevant. Um, now that being said, that's not to like say that there are not like large worthwhile fears. There's plenty um, of them at the moment. There's plenty of them at the moment, you know, <laughs> definitely. But I think that like the, the, the ones that we engage with, with ourselves are, are ones that are not, I don't know. For me, I, I believe that I am larger than the fears that I have for myself. Not, not, not necessarily outside fears, you know? you know? Not like, you know, being a person of color in America under Trump. You know, like, like that's a thing outside of my body, so to speak. Yeah. But, but I am able to engage with that fear more powerfully by engaging with the fears that that root around in myself and you know and i definitely have had like large fears in 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 my body that have threatened to like pull me under to take me out of this like this living existence 
but you know, I reach and seek to hold on to like the days or the years or the hours or the moments when I have known like a taste of the vastness of my goodness, of my power. And for those days when it is on the opposite side of the spectrum, you know, holding tight to those things, as as small as they might be, you know, like, you know, whether it was just sort of like, you know, there was a person who thought that I was of worth, you know, and so if like, if there was one other person for this one brief moment that like thought I was of worth, then like that feasibly can help me stand up to whatever those fears are that are sitting inside of me, you know, and th- those larger fears. But like, you know, I think like the smaller fears that, that we engage with, uh, you know, are just like, you know, it's like things that, oh, we're going to F this up. We're going to do this wrong. We're going to fail at this. We're going to embarrass ourselves in front of other people. We're going to, you know, like embarrass ourselves to ourselves. And those things, while like relevant and like are daunting, are also just small, you know? They're, they're, they're insignificant, you know, particularly stacked against like the wealth of riches that we seek to gain from, you know, turning our lens into ourselves and learning about who we are and what we can feasibly become, you know? How, how significant for you is love in all of this then, I suppose, is a kind of redundant question. I don't know. I don't, I don't think a redundant question. You know, like as much as we talk about love in this day and age, as much as like I know I've written about love in my life, it's not something that I think like I usually come across with question-wise. But like, I don't know. Love, I think, is one of those things like poetry that is like, you know, I think poetry is something so insignificant and so important at the same time. And I think love is, I don't know, not, not the same. It's not that, you know, I, I, I think love is like, you know, as trite as it is, 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 is the most important thing. You know, it's how like whatever, whatever shape that love, you know, you know, it's like, if like, you know, I mean, like I love riding my bicycle. I, I really cannot, put into like words honestly like what it feels and how important it is for me to like be on like the best thing to me in the world really is probably like riding my bicycle at night with headphones on preferably without a helmet you know like there's just like an element of just like freedom that 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 gives my being and my heart and my soul and but that's also just sort of such a dinky little thing but that's all just to say that like you know, whatever it is that we love, that we engage with, is, like, of of the greatest importance, you know. But it also, the way in which we have been shaped to process what love is, you know. And, and I'm saying that not from a place of, like, really understanding what love is. Like, I, 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 it's something that I'm constantly and consistently, you know, seeking to like learn better about and understand better but i think by and large when we think of like love we think automatically like oh love as in regards to like what is the love that i have 
to give to another individual and the love that they have to give to me. And I'm searching for that and clawing for that and wanting that. And that to me is a disservice to what the power of love actually is and the importance of it. You know, like we box it into this place because like, you know, and it's a disservice because it it forces us to to move towards a a place of worthlessness and and fear and little stature um if we do not have another person to which we can give our love to if we do not have another person who is going to look at us in a manner of what that makes our heart sing and leap and and that shouldn't be the end goal the end goal isn't to like our worth uh and 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 our heart is dependent on how another person receives it or what we get from that person you know like um i strive to make my heart a you know i think of it as like uh a, a net or a trap in 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 a river you know and that the river is is constantly moving through it and the trap is like constantly holding the river while constantly not holding the river and you know like I want my heart to be like that I want my love to be like that that it is not determined by what I can give to another person or what another person can give to me and that's 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 a difficult and hard thing you know but like love should be as 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 mindless and as insignificant I feel as breathing is you know that it's just what happens um you know that's not where I am by any means. <laughs> it's not where I think the majority of us are. I don't know if I'll ever be there. But, you know, so it, 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 it's not so much that, like, love is redundant, but it should be redundant. You know, like, um, it should just be. That being said, that it's like, it should just be because it's such an important thing. You know, like, it, it, it's it's just how uh, how we should be seeking to, like, engage with the world and observe it. And others, you know. Absolutely. And I think if you look at children or even to a lesser extent animals, there's a certain quality at which uh, I think love, well, is love and fear is kind of both playing out. But there's that, there is that kind of just, you know, the love that a child will show their parents is, yeah. is a given. There's no kind of, in most cases, of course, I'm generalizing, but, you know, there's not that kind of deliberate or trepidatious kind of second guessing of it it's it's just it just is yeah anise it's uh it's it's been a real joy and a real pleasure um uh, chatting with you um if, oh, thank you. same here um if, if if anyone out there would like to uh buy any of your books or read any of your stuff uh, they can do so at the piano farm.com what is the piano farm by the way <laughs> it's 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 origin is many many years ago uh when i was uh uh Back in the university, um, uh, one of my close friends, Adam, he had said something to me. And I thought he said the term, the piano farm. And I was like, did you say the piano farm? And he was like, no. And I was like, all right, then I'm stealing that. And <laughs> it, it, it just sort of like sat in me. At this, there, there's a story that I had started writing and had always wanted to kind of like complete this, this story about this guy on a piano farm. And so it just it just kind of like saddened me for years. And so like when 
when it came time for me to have a website, it just was always going to be the piano farm. You know, like for me, it just sort of, uh, I don't know, is the place. <laughs> <laughs> is so, it? But yeah, that's where it came from. Is it? Is it a like a giant landmass with a single piano on it, or is it a place that manufactures and harvests pianos? It's a, it's a, it's a place where pianos are are harvested, where they are 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 feasibly grown, cultivated, out of the earth, and uh, <laughs> and pulled. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'd like to visit the piano farm. Um, Me too. I uh, I end all of my podcasts with the same question, and that question is kind of just been answered, but let's go for a different one. What makes you right. silly? <laughs> what makes me silly? I, you know, life... I, life's too... Too strange, I think, to, like, not be silly, you know? It's just... I don't know how else to engage with the world, except, like to strive to be silly, you know, and, and there's something, you know, uh, whenever I see someone being silly, I never, you know, there's definitely like an element sometimes where it's like, you feel kind of like awkward or nervous or embarrassed or something, but I also never want the person to not be silly. Like silliness never seems like a bad thing, you know, whereas like so many other things, like, feel like things to be tempered and silliness never such how does silliness uh, manu- uh manifest itself for you i don't know when i dance <laughs> just you know it's like I, I i i i want my heart to feel good and my heart feels good when it's silly you know there's 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 people in my life with which it is able to be silly you know and i think like the, the strength of being silly is like that you're not afraid of being ashamed. You're not afraid of being embarrassed. And, um, and so that silliness for me manifests itself when I'm in the company of people who I know do not judge me. You know, those that are, are close to me who know who I am. And so, like, we can engage with each other, like, from a place of just, like, unembarrassment, you know? Yeah, it's a great space to be in. Thank you so much, Anise. Thank you, Alistair. And this is for those who can still ride an airplane for the first time. I'm 34 years old, and I'm trying to figure out most of what being a man means. I don't drink, fight, or love, but these days, I find myself wanting to do all three. And I don't really have a favorite color anymore, but I did when I was a kid, and back then... That color was blue. And back then, I wanted to be an astronaut. I wanted to be an architect, an artist, a secret agent, a ranger for the World Wildlife Fund, and a hobo. And when I was six years old, he's always throw my clothes in my blue and yellow, plastic and vinyl, Hot Wheels car-carrying suitcase, and run away to beneath the dining room table. I've made out with more girls than I wish that I'd had, and not nearly as many as I would like to. I've been in love three or four times, so I doubt I'm going to try that much more often. And I spend most days making pictures or thinking about making pictures or masturbating or thinking about masturbating. And I dream too much, and I don't write enough, and I'm trying to find God everywhere, trying to figure out this thing he made called a man. And the television tells me that it's bare-knuckle bombing, and if I drove a tank, 
I was a movie star. My penis would be huge, and that's what I want, because that's what being a man means. Or at least that's what they keep telling you. My pops, he takes care of us. He puts the garbage out twice a week. He drives 45 minutes to water flowers. I'm sitting on the bus when a seven-year-old boy carrying a book of Robin Hood, he sits down next to me and he asks me my name. Anise, that's a nice name. Thank you. What's yours? Clinton. Anise, do you want to read with me? So tell me what my fists keep writing. My fingers open up like gates when I type and the wind is swinging in the wake. I lift bridges with poems and forests grow in my mother's eyes. I'm looking for God, Quentin. While this world tries to forget you for trying for this world, Quentin, it hates your eyes for they are small and pure. And Quentin, this world hates your fingers, little like the stems of flowers, for not being able to pick up the things that you've left behind just because you are still learning to do so. I don't drink, fight, or fuck, but these days, Quentin, it's only two out of those three that I don't do. And I've fallen in love six, seven, eight, nine, ten times, Quentin, so I don't want to want to, but I still do. And I want to find God in the morning and in the tired hands of dusk at the mouth of the river and down by its feet. But instead, I drive 62 residential streets, praying to hit a child that may sever from of night and life and crayons and simple outstretched limbs trying to pick up way too much, way too fast, forgetting what it means to be a person. In a world where egos are meshed with tabloids, where automobiles double for morals, where beliefs are like naps you even behind when somebody touches you, and in a place where oil always seems to take precedence over life, I find myself sitting on a bus watching a small boy float down like fresh water, carrying a book that I used to, asking if I want to see what he sees if only for a little while, and I do. Then asks, I want to give to him what I see if only for a little while. And I read to him. And then says to me, he's going to show me the world. And starts reading me the sentences himself, his hands dancing back and forth across the pages, stumbling over words, skipping over lines with his fingers moving fast when they're showing his eyes. And I want to tell him, slow down, Quentin. Slow down. You don't have to touch and go. You can see it all if your finger whispers on one word. Slow down and hold what you see just a little while longer. For in a world full of fast faces, I'm looking for God everywhere. Trying to figure out a little better this little thing he made called a man. Thank you. Yeah.